0: In this week's Campus Bible Study Podcast, we'll be answering questions from Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 16. Hi, Tim. We have quite a few questions this week from the talk. Uh, Joshua, Nicholas and Cam from Science, and Andrew from Engineering, Samuel from Focus Cantonese, Laura from U Church and Gab from Law, they all ask questions about baptism this week. Can you help us understand baptism a little bit better?
1: Yeah, thanks, Ross. There's some great questions. All these questions do somewhat reflect that Paul doesn't say a whole lot about baptism in this passage. He doesn't really explain what's going on, but rather assumes they understand something of it. So to give us a bit of a picture of baptism, where does it come from? Well Laura's right in observing that it isn't really an Old Testament practice. It does allude to the dipping of things especially in blood back in Leviticus for their cleansing for purification. But interestingly, Naaman the Syrian back in 2 Kings chapter 5, he's the one person who's described in the Old Testament as being baptized. But that's not the New Testament really sense of baptism. It's actually what he did when he was uh, dunked following the command of Elisha the prophet seven times in the river Jordan, to be cleansed of his leprosy. So baptism is a New Testament thing, and when we come to the New Testament, we meet it right at the start, in Matthew chapter 3, with John the Baptist. He was baptizing people in the river Jordan, and we read in chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we see from the outset, John had a baptism for repentance. It was a baptism in water. And Jesus, he was to bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This water and spirit baptism is behind some of the questions that were asked this week. Now Paul, well, he has in mind a water or spirit baptism in chapter 6. It doesn't seem like he really wants to distinguish between the two. And I think we'll understand that as we keep on moving through the Gospels and Acts. So, when we come to the end of Matthew's Gospel, following Jesus' substitutionary death and his triumphant resurrection, Jesus commissions his disciples to a ministry of disciple making and baptism, famously in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So why do we baptize? And where did it come from? That was some of our questions this week. And we baptize because, well, Jesus commanded it as a sign to accompany the expressed allegiance to follow Jesus as one of His disciples. Then in Acts chapter 1, Luke records Jesus commanding and instructing His disciples to wait in Jerusalem to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism that Jesus was to bring. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And while saying with them, Jesus ordered his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the baptism they received at Pentecost in chapter 2. As the Spirit was poured out on them, empowering them to preach the gospel. And we see Peter doing just that. At the end of that first Christian sermon in chapter 2 and verse 36, we see another reference to baptism. From verse 36 Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart So the right response to hearing the gospel is repentance and baptism. And they both flow from the belief that Jesus Christ is both, well, that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And that's what they believe and are convicted of in verse 27. And baptism with water and the Spirit, well, they're brought together. They're all associated with repentance issuing from faith in Jesus. So back in Romans 6, when Paul talks about baptism he kind of sees that there's one picture uh, of faith in who Jesus is as Lord and Christ which issues in repentance and baptism as they also receive the Spirit enabling all of these things we're not to pull them apart but actually see them as one picture of Christian conversion so we aren't saved through baptism but does it really matter why bother with it at all There are a few more of our questions this week. Well, we baptise out of obedience to our Lord, but more than that, baptism, it's an act that speaks of God's grace to us, of our being bound to Jesus Christ, receiving the benefits of His death in our place, so we can share in His resurrection,
0: and so walk in newness of life. Thanks, Tim. We also had a few questions about this new life, actually. Um, The question is, what do you think about the different present and future tense of being made alive? And that question is from Ollie uh, in engineering and Ryan from science, and they both ask a question like this.
1: Yeah, it's a great question of reading closely and looking at when these different things have taken place. The passage is pretty clear that we have died. We have died with Christ, our old self was crucified with him. But is this new life, is it a present reality? or a future hope? Well, I think Paul actually presents it as both. Verse 4 seems to connect the past reality of our union with Christ to how Christians ought to walk now. Verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The purpose of Paul joining or referring to us being joined to Jesus in death is to highlight how we must now walk in a new way. The new life is our present identity. It's who we are as followers of Jesus. And it's the new life that we are to live out daily. This is why we cannot continue in sin, back from verse 1. But then in the very next verse, Paul seems to talk about our future resurrection our bodies being resurrected like Jesus' body. So verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. This is the future hope that awaits us, a life that will never die again, just like Jesus' resurrection life. So Paul now calls Christians to live consistent with their future life, though not yet a bodily reality, It is their present spiritual reality through their union with Christ. And this is where Paul lands in verse 11. given that we are bound to Christ in our conversion, expressed in our baptism, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is who we are in Christ. So let us keep encouraging one another to just be ourselves. Uh, Let me do that by finishing with verses 13 and 14. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Let's keep giving ourselves to God for righteousness. Thanks for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on iTunes to automatically download our most recent podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Campus Bible Study, you can visit our website, campusbiblestudy.org.